Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listeners of the Mad Scientist podcast, it has been about a month since the House Intelligence, Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation Subcommittee had their open hearing on unidentified aerial phenomena on May 17th of 2022. Mm. Now, for those of you that don't know, uh, or did not realize that such a monumentous occasion happened. Probably because there was other stuff going on at the time. A little bit, a little bit of other stuff happening. But what were you to, like? Had your head under a rock or something, people? Yeah, I don't Come know on. what you're doing, folks. Come on. Come on. Now, this is a really interesting. This has been a very interesting and long. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline time coming for uh fans of ufos they have been hyping this up as sort of the penultimate event of lou elizondo's career that you know this guy it's like mr smith goes to washington if he had a silly goatee and a haunted ranch to go home to the idea here was that elizondo would come out he would disclose these videos he would go out and do stuff on tv and you know all these interviews with podcast hosts and whatever and people what what ufo people hoped would happen was that the public would just sort of accept all of the salacious things and ignore all the really like glaring weirdness of it all right the fact that like you know the ufo segments are on primarily on tucker carlson right so there's some issues there maybe with trust with with trustworthiness for people um it, it it's all filtered through you know george knapp and and jeremy corbell and and ufo podcast hosts and people who maybe aren't the most trustworthy right and they haven't had the best yes. track record with the truth present and, and company excluded except for us right we're we are 100 factual all the time well, we are trustworthy if we tell you we got a nigerian prince who needs money for him to get his bank account out of escrow we do we're yeah, it's rock solid. He's there now. Yeah. And he's he needs money. Interestingly enough, we wanted to wait a month because number one, life is really hard right now. And it's taken us a month to get off our butts. But in reality, in a, more, in a very real other sense, you know, right after this happened, people were losing their damn minds on Twitter. 
and, and again, by people here, I mean nerds, right? Nerds like us, UFO nerds. They were losing their damn minds because a lot of interesting stuff happened here. Kind of some interesting shade was thrown. And we thought, what better way to come back to the to the, our podcast here and to our loving listeners than to give you our take on the UFP hearings. like again for a lay person who maybe is not quite the aficionado of unidentified aerial phenomenon that you are i was kind of more hyped at the fact that it's like oh my god this is in like the house select committee right like it this feels is sort of i don't want to say legit but it's there's certain there's a certain gravitas to it right it feels very legit yeah yeah, right. He's they're calling. They have, you know, I don't know if they subpoenaed anyone, but they're they're calling people from the Pentagon to testify on what they've found. And I was sort of like, hey, you know, this this feels like and everyone kind of harkened it back to Project Blue Book, right? This hasn't happened since Project Blue Book. Right? Yeah. Which is sort of the last big publicly recognized government um you know, uh, explanation of what what they think has been going on. Well, it's interesting. And, and there's been some other there's been some other news that has happened since, which is kind of why I think it was good that we waited a little bit to to really record this episode. But mm. for, to, mm-hmm. to lay the background. Right. So if you haven't listened to our Skinwalker Ranch series and our, our series on Robert Bigelow, kind of required listening to to listen to this one and understand it, I would say. Again, get your head out from under the rock. Yeah. That stuff is. <laughs> That stuff is gold. It's so the gold. Last, the last time we met with those cast, this, that colorful cast of characters, Robert Bigelow was one of a number of different, I guess I would call them metaphysically, metaphysically curious individuals who the government, who, who worked alongside the government to investigate things that we would normally think of as being kind of weird. So Bigelow's particular interests were uh, were after death consciousness and sort of what happens to the soul and then UFOs. We had Hal Pudoff, who worked with Bigelow, and his interest was really kind of more Scientology tinged at first, but then moving more towards like remote viewing. We had folks like um, we had folks like uh, Stubblebean, right? General Stubblebean Mm -hmm. or uh, Mm -hmm. or Major, I think Major General Stubblebean. Who um, his whole thing was Alexander something. Yeah. John Alexander, whose whole thing was creating warrior psychic monks for the military. Yes, All of these people kind of converged around Skinwalker Ranch and the work of a group called NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Sciences. And that group studied Skinwalker Ranch, which you will maybe now know best as a bad TV show on the History Channel. Have you seen the most recent season? Have you been watching it? I haven't quick yet watched. Can I tell you the sheer enjoyment that I get out of that just to watch it without volume and just watching their facial expressions? It is the best thing ever. I had a friend. I had a friend text me literally yesterday saying he I think his exact text to me was what flavor of bullshit is Skinwalker Ranch? Oh, it's it is a rainbow because some annoying guy at his job was talking about it and he wanted ammo. It is it is there's just it it is a 32 flavors. 
It's crazy. It's craziness. That it's craziness. Good. And they have their own security guy, Dragon. Dragon's my favorite. They got Dragon. Dragon. They got Post Malone. Dragon's my favorite. They got uh, some other random pop stars <laughs> popping in and out. Anyways. You don't have Post Malone. Did you just Yeah, they do. Post they have Post Malone. Malone not on the show, but he's like, they have these pictures of them with Post Malone with like AK-47s. Like, we're going to shoot at Ghost. It's like, I thought you guys can't even get them on camera. How are you going to shoot them, idiots? Make any damn oh, sense. Post. Anyways, whatever. Right. Maybe him and Dragon. That's that's some B-F-F. fan fiction right there. F's. Oh, you're shipping Post Malone and Dragon. I'm gonna show. Oh, ship! No, totally no, 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 no. No, ask, ask your, I... ask your daughter later, Marie. You do not want to ship them. No, I do. I already know what it no, is. God, I'm, no, I'm Marie, no, Marie, no, you head, know. It's beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Love is love. What wonderful love. Is love. love. All right. Anyways, so the the storyline here is you have these figures. They all converge on Skinwalker Ranch. And then they don't really find anything on the ranch of any particular interest that would justify the huge amount of money Bigelow got from the government to study space poltergeists on his ranch. Yeah. Nothing and conclusive, so, that's for sure. And so it breaks up, it, the, the group breaks apart and some figures go off and they actually continue to do work Within the government. Now, some of those figures are people like Eric Davis and Hal Pudoff again. Eric Davis, interestingly enough, appears to be a um, appears to be like a purchaser, like a purchasing agent for uh, aerospace company, which is a huge, a huge defense contractor. Um, mm-hmm. But so they, they kind of use these connections to continue their efforts to influence government policy on UAP and UFOs from from behind the scenes and try to get as much info as they can all the while leaking as much info as they possibly can to the UFO media so that they can continue to get free continental breakfasts at UFO conventions. So this group of people, then it eventually turns out that there's this guy, Lou Elizondo, who has been. There's a, there's a group doing research on UAP, on, on unidentified aerial phenomena, what we used to call UFOs before uh, Elizondo decided that wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. And this group continues, it seems, even after Elizondo leaves. And what this, what this event with the uh, House Intelligence Committee showed us was that this group did continue. They continued under a different name. And... There's a new group that's also going to be doing this sort of work going forward, potentially. Mm-hmm. Now, the group that's doing it now has a really kind of silly name, right? So they're called the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group, or AIMSOG. Right? They're running out of they're running out of good acronyms. Well, and what I love is the word management is in there. So, you know, the bureaucracy is like, right. right. You know, there's a lot of red tape. I love hearing that. It's a big old, long, clunky acronym. And you could just feel the reports, you know, and the routing taking. It's so good. It's such bureaucracy. And it's it's interesting because the bureaucracy is on full display here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The people that are the people that are part of this, you know. So the first person we we hear from is Ronald Moultrie, not the first person. The first person we hear from is always are the Congress people themselves who need to get sound bites. Mm -hmm. But then we hear from Ronald Moultrie. So Ronald Moultrie is the um, 
the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. And then we hear from um, we hear from Mr. Scott Bray, who is the deputy director of naval intelligence. And now you'll you'll realize that so both of these are of importance here, it seems. Um, so it seems like Moultrie's role is really kind of at the top of AIMSOG or, or one of the people kind of sponsoring AIMSOG. And his role and kind of what he does is he talks about the way, you know, trying to kind of bridge the gap to the public about what what they're doing and how it's not really conspiratorial and how don't listen to those conspiracy people because they're making this a lot harder than it has to be. Yeah. And to eliminate the stigma. Right. Right. Yeah. To to eliminate the supposed stigma of of understanding and following what he's he does call UAPs. Yeah. And then the other guy, Scott Bray, as far as I can tell, is there just to tell Jeremy Corbell to eat shit. Like that's all he's there for. Now, Scott Bray is there to talk about the real evidence they've gotten so far. Yes. And so what sort of information has been gained to date, what they think about that information, um, how they're analyzing it to some extent. And again, a big focus of this hearing is on, look, if you're in the military, if you're in the Navy, if you're in the Air Force and you see a UFO or a UAP, if you see something weird in the sky, we want you to tell us about it because it could be another country. It could be an adversary. It could be a drone from a terrorist. It could be all kinds of crap. Right. Right. So right. it's our it is their job, they think, to understand these things. Yes, which I would agree with. And I think that that is a good message to generally get out. If you see something, you should report it and not be concerned about what kind of stigma or someone making fun of what you saw or exactly. being considered a kook. Yeah, exactly. Which I think it's smart, right? It's absolutely smart. It's absolutely smart. Yeah. And it's not it's a little it's not as cut and dry necessarily as I think a lot of people like if you go on Twitter and you look at what the response was right after the hearings. Right. And we're being a little facetious, right? There were wins in here. Just a bit. There were, there were wins in here for UFO people like UFO fans. And there were wins in here for people who were more skeptical. And even I would say maybe a little bit more debunky than, um, than kind of UFO really hardcore UFO believers, you know? Yes. What they talk about though. Some of the things that's interesting is, um, they talk about how what they want to understand is first off, how can they best collect this data in a standardized way? So in a, in a way that allows for scientific analysis of the data itself. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing they kind of talk about is, okay, once we collect the data in a standardized way, how do we analyze it in such a way that we can not only tamp down our own say um, concerns about this being a foreign adversary or not, right? How can we make a determination of what it is, but then what do we do to get the public to stop kind of going crazy about this stuff? That was the way I read it. Like I, you know, it's, it's interesting. That was my takeaway, but Marie, what was your big takeaway from this? Well, like you said, I think, I think that they are trying to put a process behind it. But it is, and I make fun of bureaucracy, but like that they are honestly trying to put some some more of transparent process behind it, but then that they are also very quick to establish that there is no one 
solution. Like there is no one thing that we think that these things are. And we can't, based on what we have seen so far, we can't conclusively lead to any hypothesis on intelligence or agency, right? Like they Mm -hmm. can't look at this and be like, oh yeah, that is, that is definitely alien life or something sentient. You know, they, they, they stop way short of that, which again, like I can appreciate because they don't have anything conclusive, but I did think it was kind of interesting that they, you know, that they spend all this time kind of saying we're going to be transparent and we're going to avoid stigma. And if you see something, you know, and you're in the military and you're a pilot, here are all the processes for going through and reporting it. Um, But really, when all is said and done, it's sort of like, well, we think some of it could have been just space trash. Well, it's it's (laughs) interesting. Yeah. No, 100 percent. Oh, okay. Check. Well, one of the things that they go out of their way to debunk, really, is a, a video that was leaked by I don't know who leaked it, obviously, but the video was pushed out there by Jeremy Corbell. Mm-hmm. Um, the protege of jo- of uh, protege of George Knapp, who is best known for pushing the Bob Lazar hoax um, forward. I believe it's a hoax mm-hmm. um, at the very least. I don't know if Knapp had anything to do with it, but I do believe Bob Lazar is lying. Um, so the Corbell Triangle video shows supposedly shows pyramid UFOs. And the big thing that happened was the government came out and said, yes, that's a real that's a real video that was taken by Navy personnel. And so when that happened, UFO Twitter went insane. People were like, oh, my God, the government came out and said this is a real video of UFOs. It's like, no, they said it's a real video. They didn't say it was UFOs. And so Bray, during this hearing, specifically points to this video and goes, we now believe that that is a phenomenon known as Boca. And so what a Boca, what Boca is, is when you take a photo of a light far away it's basically like a reflection of the light can, that can occur due to the aperture of a camera and a camera lens. Mm-hmm. And so it can make a light appear to be triangular in shape. And so it can make like a round, a pinpoint of light to appear to be triangular. Mm-hmm. And UFO mm-hmm. people really pushed back on this saying like, no, it can't be that. It can't be that. It can't be that. Whatever. Government came out and said, eh, that's what we think it is. We think it's a reflection on the camera lens. Or we think, or we think it's a, we, we think it's a misidentification of a known, um, a known object or whatever. A known thing. Yeah. But since then, but since then, further details have come out about, well, okay, if it's a known thing, then what the hell is it? Right. Like, okay, it's a known thing. What is it? Is it a drone that's swarming this um, a a drone that's swarming this uh, ship? Like, what exactly is it then that they're seeing? Um, And, you know, basically, it seems like it's um, what's the word? Basically, it seems like it's just a normal aircraft. They (laughs) were. It took a video of, but didn't realize it was this this lens phenomena. But again, that points to how hard it is to even for people who are trained. How hard it is to be ready for everything that can possibly happen with lens refraction and optical tricks and whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, even Mm -hmm. someone who's, you know, an expert in these in these things has not seen every possible event that could ever happen. I did think it was interesting, though, because they did say some of it appear to demonstrate advanced technology. And I'm air quoting advanced technology because I they go into kind of what they would consider advanced technology. But, you know, in 18, you know, this is from sort of the highlights, sort of the executive summary in 18 incidents uh, described in 21 reports, observers reported unusual movement or patterns or flight characteristics. 
like the ability to remain stationary in wind, move against the wind, maneuver abruptly or at consider- considerable speeds um, without a discernible mean of propulsion. So it's like, okay, and that I think is more kind of hearkening back to the videos that we had seen, you know, coming from uh, the um, New York Times article, the the, the Tic Tac. Yeah, and Go right? Fast and Gimbal and all those, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's so, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because they even they even try to almost not push some of the people that are in the in the hearing, like Krishnamurthy and others, kind of push back a little bit and say, so this is this is uh, Raja Krishnamurthy, uh, Krishnamurthy, um, one of the people in the committee kind of go in. They try to dig into that a little bit and they say, like, you know, well, what do you mean precisely when you say has no obvious means of propulsion? And Moultrie and then they basically keep saying, like, well, we'll save that for the closed session, which afterwards, all these people came out and were like, the closed session blew our effing minds. And it's like, well, you can't come on. Right. Like, tell us what was in the damn session. Um, the way that I read that was so no obvious means of propulsion. The way I read that was there's no heat signature suggesting um, like a like a, a tail of of like, say, heat from exhaust or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's no clear um, there's no clear lift surface for the object. We're actually we're going to do a series on airplanes here pretty soon and the history of airplanes and kind of aircraft development. And one of the things we'll talk a lot about is the importance of there being a a surface on which the buoyant force of the wind, because um, that's really what keeps you in air in the air when you're flying is mm-hmm. Like if if you've ever been in a car and you put your hand out the window and then you kind of like you push it up or you push it down a little bit, um, your hand. And so it'll move up on its own or it'll move down on its own. You ever do that? Or am I just like a weirdo? No, 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 no. You, yeah. No. OK. No. Well, so, you're a weirdo, but not for this. Yeah. <laughs> so just like when you when you push your hand up, it'll seem to move up on its own. There's a force that seems to happen, apparently, to your hand. What's happening is the wind is hitting your hand and the wind hitting off your hand is creating a net area of uh, high pressure where now your, your, ar- your hand will actually go up in the air. It's, it's generating lift. Essentially it's generating a buoyant force on some of these objects that they have video of. Seemingly there is nothing on which lift could occur. That was the way that yes. I took it. That's what I took it to mean at least. Yes. 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 That it was moving independent of, of lift. The wind as well. Right? Exactly. There's yeah, no it was, lift. There's no, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because they talk about. They talk about one. They actually showed one of the videos and they spent an excruciating amount of time trying to figure out how to get the damn video to pause on a frame, (laughs) right? which is like we our lives are literally in these people's hands. Um, Terrifying. Yeah, but I mean, come on. But yeah, it's not it wasn't it's just kind of crazy. But uh, the the video they show essentially is of like a. it's sort of of a white blur moving in, moving into and out of the frame of a, uh, of a pilot's view very, very quickly. And, you know, one of the things that comes to mind when you see a video like that of like, you know, so again, you're a, you're a pilot, you're flying very, very quickly. And suddenly you see something out of the corner of your eye that seems to move in and out of your frame of reference very, very fast. You know, some of the things that come to mind with that is of course, well, are the human brain and our eyes and our, our sensory apparatus are not made to be 
shooting around at 30,000 feet in the air at 2000 miles an hour or whatever. Right. Right. So how effectively really are any of us at determining what an object is when we're moving that quickly? Um, You know, your eyes can be tricked. Your brain can be tricked. Even if you are just on a slowly moving platform, your brain can be tricked into thinking that um, you're stationary and everything else is moving past you. Right. So it's not crazy to think that that would be that would be incorrect. But then what they further mention is that it's not just the human sensor is what they call it. It's not just the human sensor seeing these things. It is also other sensory tools that they have. That are sensing these things, that are picking up these things, which is quite interesting. Which is interesting. And I think that, again, you know, pilots are trained and rigorously trained to respond to kind of known, known events, right? Like if, if you lose altitude or if you have a failure of something, right? It's like, I think something that is an anomaly, it would be hard to process because it's just so outside of the norm of what you have been, what have what you've, what's been drilled into you to do. So I think that that's even part of it as well. Is it's like maybe some of this is, um, sort of again, like you were saying, sort of the human reaction to something that is so completely unknown occurring in a situation where you've been, um, you know, where you've really had certain things drilled into you. So it's it's even more jarring or even more hard to kind of put into any kind of context or compute or report back on. Well, I, well, by def- my guess would be right. Yeah. Cause you're like, you're trained to do very, very specific things very, very well and respond very, very quickly mm. to certain things like flying, you know, flying orbs that are, you know, messing with you is probably maybe not on that, you know, well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not on that menu. You make an interesting, you actually make a really interesting point that I hadn't, heard anyone make before about this which is the importance of like like you said people when a fighter pilot says to you i think i saw something up there that is that is odd and different than what i normally see i think our knee our gut reaction is to say well sure uh i want to take that person more seriously because they are so accustomed to being up there Right. Like like they have more experience to be they have so much experience up there in the sky flying these jets or flying these objects or whatever, that if they mm-hmm. see something and they think it's weird, that holds more water than, say, if I was just like a, a passenger on there and everything I saw would be weird and new because it's the first time I've ever been, I've ever been in a fighter pilot jet. Right. Yes. Um, there's that. But, but the point that also, you're the yeah. point you're making is. Well, the point that I think is very interesting that you're making is they are. But they are trained for a very specific set of circumstances. Right? Yes. I mean, that, that it's a, it can be an expansive set of circumstances. It's like they're, I would never say like, you know. No, not to diminish. One or two things, but like. Yeah. Whatever that, whatever that huge expanse of circumstances are, they are very, very, very well trained. Fighter pilots are very well trained to, to deal with certain situations right so i think that that's that is something to it like you know it's in the more time you're spend in the air the more rote those things become but i don't necessarily know uh you know if you if you introduce something that is completely ambiguous you know a complete ambiguity to it you know how accurate is that like just think about like 
you know, just kind of following what you were saying is like something that you do every day, like brush your teeth. Hopefully all of our dear listeners are practicing good oral hygiene and are brushing and flossing. So you're brushing your teeth every day, same time, same process. Like you can do that fairly simple task very uh, succinctly. If something, again, something completely um, strange or not strange, but something, you know, like uh, the window broke or I don't know, like something happened that was out of that norm in that occurrence. I would think that, you know, you may not be, you may not be as completely reliable to understand it objectively. Does that make I, sense? Yeah, I think it's, you know what, you know what I actually, I was thinking of, cause again, I'm, um, I am a fat person. So I always think about food. I was thinking about, you know, like, Okay, uh, you are a person who is really, really good at uh, making pastry, right? You're a pastry chef and you've make you make pastry every single day of your life and you own a pastry shop and everything else. That does not necessarily mean that you are an expert at making every single type of pastry. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, okay, yeah, you make pastry every single day. But if I then asked you to make like. I don't know. I asked you to make uh oh man, I don't even know. I don't know enough but you know you know what I'm saying, right? If you're like you work at Subway and you're the guy that does the bread, that doesn't mean that then you're able to go make a croissant. Right? Like yeah. yeah. Like it's kind of not yeah. to not to belittle again or diminish what fi- what fighter pilots are able to do. I couldn't be able to do that, right? I, I don't even think I would be physically fit enough to be able to do that. But it's sort of a quality of like you get so used to the things that you're used to doing that they become almost second nature. Yeah. And so when something singularity of your, the singularity of your focus onto certain tasks sequentially and being able to recognize certain things are, are like really, really strong, right? Like if I, if I see something come up, like if there's a problem with a system or something fails, right. They recognize it. It goes, you go through a sequence, right? Because you're training, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do X, I'm going to do Y. But it's like all of a sudden, like if a cat all of a sudden decided to walk across the front of your plane, I'm just making that up. Like it's an unidentified object. You'd be like, what the hell's that? Right. You'd panic like anyone else would. Yeah, absolutely. It It actually, you know, what it reminds me of actually is so I, I mean, I got, you know, I have a PhD in chemical engineering, which, which my mom thinks means that I'm an expert at opening and closing her pool. Right. Because it's, it's chemicals, it it's be. water, right? It's it pipes. It's, it's, got, it's gotta it's be the water. same, right? It's kind of, it's almost yeah. the same air. I think we make where, you know, it's not, it's not like a thing they really deal with. It's just close enough that we think it should make sense. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, I would love if you are a pilot or if you are someone who is, um, I mean, heck, even if you're driving your car, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've had times where I'm driving my car. I drive my car like every day. I've had times where, where as I'm driving my car, something unexpected happens. A deer jumps out into the road or there's a pothole I wasn't expecting or whatever. And you, you panic, right? And you don't necessarily remember it exactly the right way later. or You don't know how to respond or whatever. Like it's, you know, it's not, it's human nature to, that's why you train so that when stuff does happen, you don't respond that way. Right. You have yeah. some, you have a learned response, but if something is, so far outside of that learned response, I would just question how well you're able to kind of reconcile and recall it. That's all. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, you go back not to that, being, you know, just, you're going to freak out and crash the plane, but you're not like, you may not be able to, you know, uh, muster the entirety of like context and kind of the time you need to do that and operate the plane. No, yeah. You go, well. you go into fight, flight, or freeze, right? Yes. What, yes. So one of the interesting things or one of the parts of the, the hearing that I thought was the most interesting, at least for me, and, uh, you know, for kind of my interest, I guess. So um, Representative Darren LaHood, um, gets to go and ask his question. So he asks, he, this is what he said. I'm going to read this in, in quotes, right? So this is Darren LaHood. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and want to thank the witness for being here today. Obviously, this topic of UAPs has attracted a lot of interest in people that are curious about this hearing today. As we talk about, and I would say there's a lot of what I would call amateur interest groups that are involved in the UAP field. My question is when there are unsubstantiated claims or manufactured claims of UAPs, or kind of false information that's put out there, what are the consequences for people that are involved with that or groups that are involved with that? And then Moultrie responds. Hmm. So mm-hmm. one of the concerns that we have is that there are a lot of individuals and groups that are putting information out there that could be considered to be somewhat self-serving. We what? are trying to do what's in the best interest of one, the Department of Defense, and then two, what's in the best interest of the public to ensure that we can put factual based information back into the mainstream and back into the bloodstream of the reporting media that we have. So people understand what's there. It's important because we are attempting at this hearing as this hearing has um, drawn out to understand one, what may just be natural phenomena two, what may be sensor phenomenology or things that were happening with sensors three, what may be legitimate counterintelligence threats to places that we have or bases or installations, or security threats to our platforms, and anything that diverts us off what we have with the resources that have been allocated to us, send us off in these spurious chases and hunts that are just not helpful. And they are all, and they also help well. They also contribute to the undermining of the confidence that the Congress and the American people have that we are trying to get to the root cause of what's happening here and report on that. And then feed that back into our national security apparatus. So we we are able to protect the American people and our allies. So it is harmful. It is hurtful. But hopefully, if we get more information out there, we'll start to lessen the impact of some of those spurious reports. So do you think, my question for you, Chris, how successful are they going to be? Oh, they are not going to be successful at all. They're not going to be successful at all. Right? They have a plan. Because misinformation and conspiracy theory is as American as apple pie, Marie. So you're telling me that these spurious, I love that description, the spurious, you know, um, uh, self-serving, self-interested parties are going to continue to, uh, to kind of have this subterfuge of what's happening and probably even... If you're a really good conspiracy theorist, you would probably even take this entire thing that they're saying and being like, well, of course they're saying that. What? Yeah. You know, that yeah. dude's an alien. You know, that's, that's a great wearing a really good human costume or whatever it is. What's it? I yeah. Heard that yet, but, What's yeah. really interesting is that section came right after another um, another representative put in the most insane stuff into the record. <laughs> so the guy's name is Mike Gallagher. 
he put in a, a, a ver, he put in a into the record, into the congressional record, a copy of what are known as the Wilson documents, which are from Eric Davis, the guy before we said that worked with Hal Pudoff and is kind of in the throes of all this NIDS stuff, right? Psychic mm-hmm. spies and all that kind of all that kind mm-hmm. of junk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He supposedly had notes that were after the fact with a meeting he said he had during the 2000s with an Admiral Wilson who claimed that he tried to go looking for UFOs and someone basically was like, we don't talk about UFOs <laughs> and like kind of threatened him a little bit and said like, you know, um, or didn't really threaten him, but basically said like, you are not, you know, they, they went looking and the person came back and said, I'm not allowed to tell you anything and there's nothing there for you to look into. Mm. And so Wilson was like, dun, dun, dun. Right. Yeah. And so it's these, it's this, it's kind of, it's kind of wacky. Right. And so right after that, you have this, I mean, you have Krishna Murthy that goes next, but then after that, there's this question from LaHood that's basically like, Hey, how do we like get that guy in trouble? Right. Like, shouldn't there be consequences for people spreading bullshit to Congress? Like what's going on? There should be. And so there one of his, que- one of I his mean, questions, he large, says, there should be. What is just for this? <laughs> well, it's interesting, right? So LaHood continues. He goes, he goes, so just taking that a step further. So that in that misinformation, false narratives manufactured, what are the consequences? Are there legal consequences? Are there examples that you can mm. give us where people have been uh, held accountable by this information or disinformation? And Moultrie says, I can't give you any examples about that. Um, and LaHood says, well, what's the deterrent then for people engaging in this activity? of spreading misinformation and Moultrie says, I don't know. I don't have that answer. That's something that you're welcome to dialogue with Congress to talk about that with the members who help legislate those laws to say, what should be the legal ramifications that we could use to potentially hold individuals accountable, whether it be citizens or information that might be injected into our media by other forces or other countries, if you will. Right. But I mean, isn't this, isn't this the same issue that, you know, the American media, the American, our, 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 our forms of government and us as citizens are fighting now anyways, is misinformation on a, on a, on a, almost an epidemic, uh, rate, you know, I well, mean, abs- yeah, not absolutely. just this, but it's like, he just raised a really good question. I would, I would say that you should go back and try and figure this out. It's like, you can't, I mean, you there, I'm sure that there is a way to figure it out, but it's like, are you what you're going to prosecute someone? Because if you're going to prosecute them for this, there's a lot of other things that are that should be considered as well. That's that's the part of it. I think that's so fascinating is because, yeah. you know, anyone who's listened to this show knows that when that guy asked that question, I like threw my popcorn in the air and was like, that's what I've been saying. That's what I've been warning about. Holy shit. Right. Like not, not that it's good or bad. Right. I don't think that censorship is ever the it's censorship because there's two ways of looking at what they said. Right. The first way is to look at it and say, holy crap, that guy is literally trying to stop people from spreading information that the government, because who decides what's good information or not? Yes. So there becomes a question about, well, that could be used as a means of control of this narrative, which is which is 100 percent like what UFO people have said forever was what was happening with these cases, that the government was controlling this narrative and, you know, all this crazy crap. (laughs) But on the other hand, a guy like 10 minutes ago in this congressional hearing wasted like 15 minutes talking about 
a fever dream Eric Davis had where he talked to some guy and the guy like from the X-Files was like, don't talk about UFOs. The cancer man. Yeah. yeah. Cancer you know, like, man was all you know, like, yeah, it's exactly. ridiculous. Right. So there's there's clearly a need that if they're going to take this seriously, they have to have a way to separate the kooks from real reports. And it, and honestly, it seems like the way that they've been doing that. And this is the way that, say, the Galileo Project has decided to do it as well. And other groups who decided to do it is to take absolutely no civilian information at all into account. You only take military information about this. Which it's like, is that what UFO disclosure people wanted? Was for only the military to get to have UFO reports? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I kind of equate it to everything else, like writ large with this. And it's like, it really comes down to intent and accountability. Absolutely. So it's like, what is my intent with putting this out there? Is my intent to educate Congress and the public is my intent to make money is my intent to harm others and others reputation. You know, I think that that it's, it's really difficult to legislate intent in some cases, but I think it's also, you know, you're accountable for that, right? So if I put out something or if I decide to enter something where I'm like, yeah, no man, like they, these days these aliens are kidnapping babies and uh, you know like i think you know and you should you know if you send me 12 bucks you know we'll put you into our secret pack and you'll get all this information it's like well clearly my intent is not uh is not for the greater good right i could claim it as such but then i'm also making money off of something that is unprovable or unproven so I, almost, I, I don't know. I think it comes back to and I think I think that social media has a large role in this as well, which is a huge another huge argument, another huge sort of like uh, another huge bucket of worms to go into. But like, I, yes, there you have to have some sort of shared accountability and responsibility about information and information and facts actually being facts and not alternative facts. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's like. How do you go about parsing out what those are with some and things? I, and the only thing I can come back to is like, what is the intent of the person who is is giving this information? You know, it's funny, though, because I think when the in it's the cases where I think intent would matter, I actually think are the easy cases with this. Because if there is enough information there to prove without a shadow of a doubt that your intent was to make money or to mm-hmm. bilk people out of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then that that was that's I don't think anyone has any disagreement that that person should be prosecuted. You know, I guess maybe some people would say like, well, a sucker's born every minute. So it's not the con man's fault. It's the, the person who was con's fault in some ways. No, they almost no, want no. to be con. Yeah. But I think no, I think most people, though, would say fault. <laughs> yeah, I think most people say, no, it's the con man's fault. I'm actually more interested in cases where it's sort of like it's almost negligence. It's like information negligence <laughs> where. You, you know, we, we actually this, this just so again, like going back to the original point a little bit to make this larger point I'm trying to make here with this rambling section here, Marie. I know we just went we just went right. We're just going right deep hole. into the philosophy here. We, but we haven't talked about socialism or capitalism yet. Not so once still, this episode. Not still once this it. episode. We haven't done it once, dear listeners. I mean, so since since you this don't get that bingo square. Sorry. Since it should be the center square for us to be completely honest. <laughs> 
since the since the hearings, one of the things that's kind of come up or come out has been what is the role of the UFO community or or these places to to police speech or to try to be like is it do the ends justify the means in some way, right? If you just hide all the people that claim they've been abducted or had sex with aliens or you know, seeing lizard people or whatever. If you just hide those people long enough that the government starts taking some alien stuff seriously, and then you're like, oh, hey, by the way, we got all these other, all this other shit happening. Is that okay? Is that, is that like a good strategy? Is that a strategy the UFO people want you to have? Right? That's kind of the argument going on about like Elizondo and these figures, because this whole time they've been saying, no, this is about military encounters only and everything else and whatever. But if you look at their history, it's like that's it's not about that for you guys, though. It, it hasn't been right. It's about metaphysics and psychics and uh, ultra terrestrial poltergeists on your ranch in Utah. And, you know, it's about more than it. But they've kind of crafted this message to get their point across. But one of the things that's so interesting, I think, about this is. This all looks very, very serious. If you look at it from the perspective of this is a this story made its way to a hearing in Congress and they're taking it seriously and everything else. My argument though would be, and it's kind of been the argument I've been making for a very long time. It feels like now with regards to UFO stuff, all that proves is how easy it is to get a hearing in front of Congress, how easy it is to trick Congress people because the figures involved in this are uh, not yeah. like the, like, let me rephrase. No, I'm with you. I'm Let me with rephrase no, a little you. bit. I'm, I don't you, think it's about necessarily how easy it is to trick Congress. What I mean to say is, for me, this is a story almost about how successfully one can craft a message and turn something with no there there really mm-hmm. into a national security issue. And we see this with like Havana syndrome. We see this yes. with the satanic yes. panic. We see yes. this with these other cases. Yes. And, you know, all it takes is a quick Google search about the figures involved in UFO stuff to know that it's not serious. But isn't that about intent? No. I mean, again, no. See, but that's the thing. I don't think it's about intent. I think those people are just fucking idiots. I think they're just idiots. Like, you know what I mean? I I think that they are. They are drunk drivers. They are the they are the information equivalent of drunk drivers. Of drunk They're drivers. fucking idiots. Okay. Like if we if so Elizondo just this week came out and, and did or he did an interview like last week or whatever where he was like, you know, Nazism, the term for Nazi comes from national socialist. They're socialists. That's that's so stupid. That's like third grade level shit. That's so well, dumb. It is so yeah, comically wrong on all possible levels. And that's the guy that is the truth teller about aliens. Well, that guy who fell for this again, Charlie Kirk level meme falsehood that your aunt, your crazy aunt shares on Facebook. So I would agree with that. I do think that I do think it it, it speaks to intent about and I would speak, you know, with with, what they call the uh, the uh, the sonic attack, right? The Havana sonic attack. I think that, yes, that is a, so there's certain people creating a narrative, creating a story, maybe to get, uh, to, to further their own careers in media, but then also to legitimize their own, um, 
you know, if they're doctors, which I do believe a lot of this came from a certain place, they're creating their own uh, income base and their own, their own, they're propagating their own agenda that is self-serving. No, I agree. I agree. I and absolutely I think agree that with that's, that. I think Elzano is, again, I don't think you should be listening. I think you should be, if, if someone, and I'm not telling people, you know, that they should always stay in their own lanes, but if you are listening to him for uh, World War II history, then maybe you should be, you know, balancing that out with some other information. See, so that's, that's, I guess, the point that I'm trying to make. And I guess we're kind of coming around to the same point as we always do, Marie, because we're fucking best friends um, <laughs> of, you know, Buddies. of like. If you if you are a journalist taking yeah. people like Lou Elizondo seriously, you are you are Propagators. again, yeah. you are. Yeah. You are negligently spreading bad yes. information, or at least yes. at least yes. without double checking it, you are negligently spreading bad information. And so maybe and so maybe that's the answer, right? That I think and, and like you're saying, there is intent there, right? Why would you spread that negligent? Why would you negligently spread that information? Because you know it's gonna sell a good story, right? You yes. know it's gonna sell, you yes. know it's gonna be a big deal. Oh yeah. But I do think that I, I almost think that that's the that's the thing I wanna see come from this in some ways. And just from in general, the media right now is there has to be some recognition of again, like we're a podcast, right? You should not be using us to write your book reports in school. Right. We are we are pod, we're a comedy podcast, right? Like Aww. we are we we're, we try to give good information. Bit. Not even we a couple tr- footnotes. You can well, use like, it for a you know what I mean? Like we we try our best to give good information, yes, no, but we're not a trusted source. We should not be a trusted no. source. Well, even if you have a trusted source, you should always be validating and challenging any source. Absolutely. That's why it's education. That's why you learn. If you always learn the thing you think, you know, to the point that you are sure you know it, you're making mistakes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's my two cents. <sighs> Anyways, we got a little bit, we got a little bit deeper Woo! in the weeds here. Woo! But it was a good time. For air. The other thing Woo! we found out, the other thing we found out uh, just like today, actually, Woo! is that the head of one of the scientific advisors for the UAP task force, what mm-hmm. was the continuation of uh, kind of the ATIP, TTA, you know, the ATIP team that some of them went to TTSA and then some of them appear to have continued working for the government as part of the UAP task force um, that now is becoming AIMSOG or whatever. The mm-hmm. um, AIMSOG. The AIMSOG. head of or one of the important scientists for that group is a big star of ancient aliens who's currently um, touring the country with Giorgio Suclis. So there you go. There yeah. you go. So that's if- that's how serious this all is. That's um. <laughs> to me, that's a discounter. All right. If you show up on, uh, you know, uh, uh, on the hunt for Skinwalker or whatever that is, if you if you drive up in a van and you're all like, well, my equipment stopped working, <laughs> then you know what? You're not credible. I'm sorry. And just by the simple fact, like, again, you what is the intent of doing that? Like, what is yes, what is what do you what what is this what is this? organization this group this individual getting out of it is it on the face of it is it it's it's to educate people about something that's going on but you know like is it really that and that's, no, it's, that's it's vanity my, my it's vanity steps. and glory yeah. it's vanity and my greed. equipment Absolutely. stopped working that's okay that's a drinking game 
anytime you guys are watching that show, anytime, um, anytime the dragon gets this, you know, like, oh, I don't like the way that this is going down. Look on his face. <laughs> or they talk about, well, you know, every time we drill, something bad happens. Or anytime they're like, well, this worked. This worked in the car. It just totally stopped working. You take a shot. You know what? But see, that, so, okay. Just to <laughs> find, I want to make my final point, right? The way- The liver will thank you. The way <laughs> I look at it here, right, is, okay. At some point, if there is a guy that's a bad plumber, he's a terrible nice. plumber. Right? He's just he's an awful shit. plumber. Every, he's, he's an awful plumber. Bad. Everyone, you know, people, if you looked online and looked at reviews, the dude's an awful plumber. He's yeah. Bad plumber. Yeah. Better business bureau. He if sucks. your yeah. friend suggested the bad plumber to you, who would you blame when your pipes burst? Is it the who plumber? Would I blame. Is it your friend who suggested a bad plumber? Is it me for listening to you? my friend instead of doing my own third party independent validation and looking at other sources? It's me. I'm the one responsible. You're the one ultimately responsible, right? But yes, see, that's the challenge here, right? What if your friend ran the local Better Business Bureau? Well, then I, I think that they would probably be out of a job pretty quickly because if you think so doing that you think so Marie? Right? i mean i don't know i'm not gonna say the market corrects itself because that's bullshit oh we're gonna and get that's... into that in a second we're gonna get into that in a couple of months with the irish famine here the market oh, does not goodness. correct itself people the, the market, market has no market will chew you up. correcting all right yeah yeah marie it's been a fun episode so what so what is your overall takeaway are you how you feeling scale of one to ten with uaps right now how you feeling well, I'm still a little disappointed that we had a name change on the acronym for them, but I am happy that we got a a smog, a smogala, uh, a you know, another acronym out of it. Um, you know, I I would like to think that this, you know, the I don't. It's yeah. Uh, eh. <laughs> sounds like you're a kid. Eh. Sounds like you're like a three to five, maybe. I'm a three. I'm a, I'm like a, maybe at a four on this. You're one. a four. I'm not a four. Nice. I'm at a four. Good stuff. I'm at a four. I gotta say, honestly, I I I came away from that kind of really liking Moultrie and Bray. I was like, you know what? Yeah. I'm all. You know what? I kind of like these guys. I'm sort of a six or a seven. Oh, I think that they were very balanced. I think that they were very. um like, I, do I think that there's going to be like this revelatory, you know, coming? No, but I think it's good to hear kind of a balance, you know, yeah, and do like I, them acknowledging yeah. like, hey, we need we need to get a lot more data points to really understand what's happening. Absolutely. And here's how we're going to go about doing that. So I think and again, if you look at it again, objectively be validating against other processes, like how they seem like they're gathering the information seems pretty logical you know i don't know if one of these if one of these two guys ends up i swear to god ends up you know like hunting for bigfoot or uh <laughs> right or if on ghost, on ghost hunters right <laughs> running around some abandoned prison or asylum then yeah then then yeah, we're in trouble and really we we got to rethink our we got to rethink our our entire our entire shtick Oh boy. All right, dear listeners. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your patience. Life has been crazy recently. Marie and I have both been going through a whole lot of different stuff going on in our personal lives. So we thank you so much for your patience here on these episodes. Um, we'll be back very shortly here. We're working on a couple of series that I'm really excited about. I think are gonna be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Yeah. Give me good stuff. We're we're looking forward. We're going to have a good summer, folks. All right. Marie. What a pleasure as always. (laughs) As always, my friend, as always. And thank you, dear listeners. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.